So we begin at Mark 4, verse 1. And he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that, seeing they may see and not perceive, in hearing they may hear and not understand lest they should turn, and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But, these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. This is the word of God, for the people of God. Amen. As I said, this is the beginning of the fourth year, the end of the third. I like to, at the year markers, do a little assessment in this sermon. And this parable helps me do that in a very good way. It talks about the four different kinds of hearts or soils that are existing. Now, I want to share with you that every piece of ground can be worked. It doesn't mean just because the soil is one category 
that it can't become another. That if it's rocky, there's nothing saying that you can't add something to it to make it more productive into a good soil. There is, in other words, hope for all. In this parable, I want to share with you this also. That every human being is categorized in one of the four hearts. Each person here is one of the four. So at the end of the day, you'll know which one you are. And if you take a deep, honest look, you'll say, this is me. This is what the pastor said I need to do to make sure I either stay there or grow deeper with the seed. So we're going to look at that. And the reason I mention the anniversary is because three years ago, this church isn't the same as it is today. There's a whole lot different. You might say, well, there's different people here. Yes. But there's also a different connection, a different understanding, a different relationship. Three years ago, there were interim ministers. There was not someone saying, this is a direction to walk in, let's go. But rather, I'll be here until you get someone who can. Three years ago, you all had been praying for someone to lead you from the situations that had brought that about to somewhere different and more according to God's plan and what God wants for the church. Healing, restoration, hope, all those things needed to be in place for that to happen. And it wasn't something where you can just come and go, okay, let's do this. It takes a while to build trust. Damaged relationships between clergy and churches can happen where a clergy may not feel safe or the church may not feel safe. I was one of those clergies who was damaged. You were one of the churches who was damaged. So we both needed to learn each other and to heal and to grow. And this kind of soil that Jesus talks about in the parables isn't bad soil, but it's the soil where all the cares and pains of the world have crept in. And the mission and the ministry has slipped by the wayside is not as important as right now, what's crucial for survival. And that's the situation we joined in together. When we go through this parable, you'll hear exactly that kind of soil. And you'll say, oh yeah, that's it. I believe this church has moved. And I don't mean from back down the hill up to here a hundred and some years ago. I mean that it has moved in its focus, in its purpose, in its intent. And now we're beginning to see what God wants us to do. And it's becoming very clear by how He's moving. And it's a wonderful thing to know. I also have to say that when I look back at that time in my life, I was the third type of soil. So when you hear that, you'll understand that. And you'll understand that that one is again where the cares of the world are pressed in and become crowded out and so filled that the gospel was just kind of in there somewhere. But you know what? That changes too. And I promise you, there are certain days of your life when those cares come back in and try to crowd it out again or things try to snatch away the truth that God's given you. And you'll see that. So it's not like this is an immediate, permanent thing, but different times of your life, each of these are true. 
Sometimes you'll hear something, you go, boy, that was so good, I got to do that. And you forget what it was a couple days later. You go, I know it was something. In the bulletin, right here, there's a little notes section. You know why we write things down? Because the devil wants to take them away. He doesn't want you to get this stuff today. He doesn't want you to hear this. He didn't want me to hear it, and I had to write it down. As a matter of fact, this week, um, I was reading through one of the books I got at the uh, AACC, and it talked about this parable, and it just broke my heart for myself. And I began to see some things. So I hope what I share with you helps you the same way God's been working in my life. The first heart type that Jesus talks about, the seeds, if you will, that fall by the wayside. Now the wayside is on the path, like the sidewalk. Or in that time, they didn't have concrete sidewalks, it's the well-beaten path. The one where the dirt is packed down and then the grass is along the side and there's little tufts of grass here and there. But if enough traffic walks along that path, those little tufts of grass will be gone too. And anything that's on there that is valuable to a bird or any other creature is either going to get trampled into the ground or something to come and take it. And that's what Jesus says. The fowls of the air come and snatch those seeds up before they can do anything. It's on the wayside. This kind of heart is the you and user. It's the unrepentant heart. It's what he's talking about. And he says, when he explains it, he says, it's where the word is sown, Satan comes, immediately takes it away. In other words, you hear how great God is, but you go, yeah, I know I need to do that, but I just don't think I'm ready. That's the unrepentant heart. Some of us have heard the truth of Christ and heard people say, you've got to come to the altar, heard just as I am a thousand times, or uh, you are the potter, I am the clay, mold me and make me. Oh Lord, I pray. You hear that so many times that it's just become... A, a ritual. Or you've sung Amazing Grace a hundred times ago. We, gotta, we sang that last year. Come on. Or when uh, you're in a praise and worship service, you go, can we quit singing and get to the end of the service, which is what I'm waiting for? Let's just do this thing and let's go home. What happens is we've grown cold to the woo of God's Holy Spirit, to the truth of Scripture and to the fellowship of all the believers who are connecting for a greater purpose that Jesus Christ is instilling in us. When we are unrepentant, we're unwilling to put our heart on the altar and submit to Christ. We want it our way or no way. Here's the characteristics of a person who is unrepentant. First one is, their viewpoint lacks depth. They're blind to the biblical inconsistencies that Jesus says, but which they don't do. Generally, they say, the Bible says this, you need to be doing this, but they're not looking at themselves. <laughs> so their viewpoint doesn't apply the Scripture, just as, yeah, I believe the Bible, but they don't read it. Or, oh, I've read that thing a couple times, you know, I know what it says. Those are the folks who really, really don't want a relationship with Christ. Second characteristic of this kind of person is there's no true concern for spiritual matters. We talk about people being shot in Oregon who believe. 
And they said, oh, I'd take a bullet for Jesus. Would you? If you knew the first person who said, I'm a Christian, and the next person said, I'm not. One was in the head and one was in the leg. Are you going to go head leg? Well, I can just repent later. I used to be that kind of Christian. I'll repent later. But I'm not going to say what I am so I can keep living. No true concern for spiritual matters and integrity. If you deny God before men, He will deny you before the Father, Jesus says. The third characteristic of this person is that they offer that the Bible's not always accurate or Christianity's just missing something, not quite, not quite good enough. There's something wrong with it. You'll hear these folks talk a lot, and here's what they'll say. Well, church is good, I just don't see any need for it. I can have it on my own. They seem to think that they have read the Scripture that says that the assembly of people who are Christian is necessary and is God-ordained. Do not forsake, says the writer of Hebrews, the assembling of yourselves together. In other words, don't fail at that. Continue to assemble. And you say, well, but I can get God anywhere. This is not about you getting God. It's about you getting connected and serving. Your relationship with God is about you getting out and helping others be a part of the kingdom. It's not about you getting what you want from God. It's about what God wants you to do for Him. But these folks who are unrepentant think that what they believe is all about themselves. Very self-focused. So Jesus says a second time. That's the first type, part one. Second type is the kind of seed does a little bit more, but it falls on the rocky ground. Oh, the stony ground or the rocky ground. Basically, everything around Israel from one of the wives says is stony ground. And a lot of rock out there. So they knew what Jesus was talking about. This is the kind of... They receive it, says Jesus, with gladness, but no root. And they only endure for a little time. Tribulation comes, persecution comes, and they stumble and wither away. This kind of heart type is the yes and user. It's shallow. By the way, the first type have a false sense of salvation. They believe they said a prayer, that's all they need to do, they're done, they're good. And no fruit, nothing. No sacrifice, no change, they're still the same old rotten person they were when they walked through the door and said a prayer. Second heart type is shallow. These folks are unsaved but think they are. They're willing at first to surrender their life to God. Sounds great. I'm going to give my life. Jesus, take my sins. I had a conversion experience. I even tell people I'm saved after that. I confess with my mouth. Therefore, I belong to Jesus. Here's the problem. First characteristic is they got to get out of jail free card. Not a get into Christ card. That's a problem. Second characteristic is they're happy to be Christian as long as it doesn't cost them anything they consider valuable. In other words, no sacrifice. Third characteristic, they can be assured a place in heaven by going to church and neglecting to sin in certain areas outwardly. They're happy to follow Jesus. But... As soon as they have a cross to bear, someone asks them to do something for the church or any other sacrifice, they back way off. Can't believe you asked me to do something. Can't believe you asked me to be involved as a member of this church and ministry, Pastor. Can't believe that, but that's what we say. I will give my service as a member. I will serve God through this church in some active ministry the church supports. 
What? No, it doesn't say that. Yes, it does. We said that when we took the oath of membership. But we, but we begin to argue and say, well, you know, I just wanted to be the member. I didn't really want to do all that stuff. I don't want to do church. Come on. That takes up from time, from family, from my work, from things I want to do. That's not right. Shallow, isn't it? I've been there. I was a young kid one time in Christ, immature. And I said, yeah, I want what Jesus has, eternal life, saved. Why do I got to go to church? Just, you know, I'm saved. I know how to pray now. I got it. I get it. I, I, I'm okay. That's what I said. But I have to ask myself, the younger self, who said I was okay besides me? Who was the expert here telling others that I was okay? It was an immature me, not wanting to do anything for God, not wanting to serve and give my time and my life and my love for Christ. I was shallow. A lot of folks in the shallow quit coming to church. They say, you know, you don't have to be radical for Christ. That's crazy. People will think you're nuts. They'll think I'm a freak. They'll think I'm weird if I talk about Jesus. Some stay in the church and they look Christian, but they don't do anything to follow Christ with a cross in hand. The idea of being a part of a church to them is enough to be considered godly. But those folks in this category are unsaved. I don't like to say that because I was in that category thinking that I had a part in the kingdom of God. But I had no fruit, no root, and no connection with Jesus. Just that I had felt His presence when I prayed and asked Him to forgive me for a while. That is the beginning part of a repentant life, not the end. Third heart type. These are getting a little more powerful. Now, this one's more common. This is a really common one in churches and sometimes not in church. But it's the E. It's the enticed heart. And Jesus says this kind of heart doesn't have any fruit or evidence of repentance remains in their life after a period of struggle. In other words, they start doing the work, they get involved, they start reading the Bible, and they're really intense into it, and all of a sudden things start happening, and life gets in the way, and they say, well, this God thing's good, but listen, i got to go to work. Work's demand on me. If I don't pay my rent, then I'm in trouble. Rent comes before God. That's not what they say. They say, you know, my family's important, i got to take care of my family. If I don't take care of my family, that's a godly duty for a man to do is take care of his family. So I've got to take care of the family. Sounds good. But it also is very common, false Christianity. Why? Because the soil wasn't properly prepared for this life. Jesus is a good idea among other good things in life. He's one of those many good things we do. <laughs> At first... When we 
hear the gospel and we come and we're excited. He's a welcome addition because he's new. This is the new fad. This is the new thing. And for a while, it, it works really good. And it's hard to spot these kind of folks because they're on fire for Jesus and after a while they fizzle out and they're gone. But they do a lot of good stuff and they start to bear some activity for the kingdom. A little bit of it. And then they stop. They disappear. Well, what happened? Well, you know, church was pretty good, but uh, I didn't really get a whole lot out of the service and... I didn't get this, and the pastor was saying this, and the service was too long, and I'm just, you know, people are falling asleep in church. I just can't stand that. I just don't want to go to church like that. Who's that all about? Them. Not about, hey, you know, I needed to find a way to plug in. Where's that church doing ministry so I can help? It's about what I got, not about what I can do, what God's asked me to do. This is very enticed heart. They're faithful to the church and they'll give and volunteer. They'll do a lot. But the difference is the fruit. Are they sowing seed? Are they talking about their faith? Are they spreading a love of Jesus where they go? Or are they just doing it because they don't want to feel like people think they're a bad person? They have many things that pull at their attention. And an outward life of a believer is what they show. But inwardly, they still want the things of the world. And here's their three characteristics. The first one is their daily life distracts them from God. As soon as a crisis comes up, they stop their devotions and their prayers for a period of time instead of saying, there's a crisis, I've got to go to God first. I can't get through this without Jesus. They don't do that. They say, here's a crisis, I've got to put that on the back burner, Jesus, I'll get back to you in a minute, I've got to take this other call <laughs> type thing. Second characteristic is they realize that success is calling them and they like to answer. They're going after the bigger, the better, the more. And when they go after the bigger, the better, the more, they say, well, that way I can give more to the church and, and I'll, I'll do my part, I'll give my tithe, might even offer a little bit more than my 10% of my gross income, but I don't know about that yet. I might, but you never know. We'll see how that works. Um, Got to check my tax, man. Do you know some folks base their giving on how much they can deduct on their taxes rather than on how much God has changed their heart? It's true. They fit in this category. They are enticed by the things the world say is necessary rather than by what God does. So success calls and the world's way calls and they think they can balance both. And the third thing, third characteristic is their world's offerings pulls them away after a while and they justify it. They justify their ungodliness or their not God first behavior. I said I was in this category. Three years ago, I was in this category. I was an enticed heart. My wife will tell you. I had a lot of things I wanted to do for God, but first I had to do this. I had to find, you know, how to pay the rent, how to do this. Job to job to job, trying to find ways to make ends meet, never happy in anything. Finding out that jobs wouldn't make me happy, but still trying another one to make me feel better. If I had money in my pocket, I was happy. That's how that was. If I had some money in my wallet, I felt like a man. But i got to tell you, I could have a million dollars in my wallet without Jesus. I'm going to feel like an idiot whenever Christ calls and asks me to give an account for that. But that's how I was living and thinking. 
And I'm not saying I'm proud of that. I'm telling you the truth because I want you to be honest with yourself. I was enticed. The things of the world. You can ask my wife. The latest phone came out. I got it. And if I didn't get it, I was getting it soon. It was important to me. I could justify it too. Well, this other one, you know, it's going to break one day. Or I need this one for my work, which maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But I got to tell you, for how many years, 60 years or so, we got along with landlines and fax machines and other stuff without having all that stuff in our pocket. Do you know, and this is sad to say, that my memory is slipping? I used to think it's because I can't remember people's phone numbers, but that's not why. I don't even know what they are. Do you know how I get people's phone numbers? I say, here's, here's my phone. Type your name and number in it. When I want to call someone, I look for their name. If I don't remember who they are, I'll, I'll try to remember who the name belongs to. I don't even know the number. I used to know a hundred or more numbers of folks who are in my church and friends and family because I wanted to be able to call them no matter where I was at. But this is important, so it keeps me scheduled. Well, how did I schedule my life without it? Do you understand I'm justifying things of this world and saying they're mandatory rather than saying, you know, God, why can't I not spend it on that and find someone who needs it more than me? Because I'm enticed. My eyes see all this stuff. And Scripture says, hell is never full and our eyes are never satisfied. And I have to say that Jesus says we're walking on a treacherous path if we're enticed. And would even say, no fruit, there's no Christ in that relationship. And that's not good. The fourth type of heart. This is the one that falls on the good soil. Produces a crop. A true believer always bears fruit. I cannot say that any other way. A true believer always, always, always bears a crop. Always. They know that faith without works is dead. But their works don't constitute the fact that God should bless them. Their works are a response to the saving grace that God has given to them. And out of joy, they do these things because they love God and people. They are a transformed new creation that says, I do this out of love, not out of obligation. Not because I'm supposed to, but because I get to. And they know that without Christ, they can do nothing. You know, that verse in John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the words of Jesus Christ. And I thought, well, that here, here's the third type of heart looking at that Scripture. Jesus says, without Him, I can't do anything. And I said, that's just not true. I can get up and go to work. I can ride my car and drive anywhere I want. What do you mean without Jesus? I can't do that. Do you think maybe that's shallow? (laughs) Do you think maybe that's pride saying I don't need Jesus to tell me whether I can do something or not? If Jesus is our Lord and Savior and He says without me I can do nothing, say, Lord, don't ever let me be without You. I don't ever want to be without you. 
Why would I ever be without you so I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to do nothing or not? And this nothing that we can't do is nothing for the kingdom. Not inability to move. We can do lots of stuff without Jesus. Just none of it helps God's kingdom. And none of it blesses people. Jesus says, without me, we do nothing. You do nothing without Christ for the kingdom. If you belong to Him, your heart's desire is to see His kingdom increase. Which is why folks say, I can do church by myself alone, are not a part of the kingdom. They don't care about it. They don't care about what Jesus cares about. And, and, and we hear those words, we go, yeah, I know, and I'm going, no, no, I'm like that. I'm like that. There's times when I, when I get up and I say, honey, I don't want to go to church. She says, you're the pastor. You got to. <laughs> True. Three characteristics of this kind of person. And the R, by the way, is reproducing. They're reproducing kingdom fruit. The first characteristic is they seek first the kingdom of God. Regardless. Oh, there's a crisis. I seek first the kingdom of God. God's counsel first. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that's a tough one for me. Whenever I get a call from my son, he's going, Dad, Dad, Dad. Or my daughter, Daddy, come over here, Pops. I need some help. And I'm going, yeah, I'm the hero. Instead of saying, God, show me what you want me to do in this situation to be the best person and example and father for them that they need rather than being the hero and catering to what might be something they can do for themselves. I don't have to be the hero. I have to be obedient to God. So uh, it's tempting for me to seek first my kids' admiration rather than God's approval as his child. So that's seeking first the kingdom of God in all things, regardless. The second one is, they realize that all they have and all that they own belongs to Jesus. They realize that their family, their home, their car, their life, all belongs to Jesus. And they're thankful that He allows them to share in it. One of the things that's gotten me for years, and I don't know why, maybe it's because I wasn't very good at it, was when a pastor would get up and say, yeah, in my ministry I did this, this, and this. And in my ministry we did that. In my ministry over here we did that. And I'm going, "Uh, is it your ministry or God's ministry? So for years I'd never say, this is my ministry. Never would. Until I realized, until God bestows it on you, it's not yours. But when God bestows it on you, it is your ministry for the kingdom. God has me working in the kingdom here in Milburn, Kentucky. He has me working for the kingdom at Celebrate Recovery. And believe it or not, even in a state-run facility at Four Rivers where I'm not allowed to talk about Jesus, I get to do it. Uh, We'll delete that from Facebook, please. (laughs) Don't tell others or do. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want them to know that I stand for Jesus Christ first. The third 
characteristic of a reproducing heart is they know they are servants. They are not the boss. They are servant leaders if they lead. Not I get to choose what is right for me in my relationship with Christ. He chooses. God, the only way I'm not going to church is if I'm dead. Or I can't get there. Or I'm sickly and I don't want to get other people sick. That's And God, and if you want me there, you'll heal me. You'll resurrect me like Lazarus. <laughs> God, whatever you want, I'm your servant. And as I said, in each of these four types, the unrepentant, the shallow, the enticed, and the reproducing, churches can be any one of those two. And what kind of person you are also can help the church be that kind of church. But i, I got to tell you, there's a solution to all of these. And Scripture is very clear. No matter which one you are, if you aren't to that fourth spot yet, the fourth type of heart, pray this, God, break my heart. Break my pride. Break my fallow, shallow, unrepentant, enticed heart till all that's left is a desire for you left in me. I want to share with you an illustration about what that means. Imagine, if you will, Judgment Day has come. And there are two people in line getting ready to come before the judgment seat of God. And the first one, Jesus is his defense attorney. And Satan is his accuser. And he goes up and Satan is railing all these things he's done bad. And Jesus steps up and says, yes, yes, he might have done those bad things, but he's a pretty good guy. Pretty good woman. And uh, I'm going to just take his place and you just punish me for what he's done. Or what she's done. And I'll take it. And God says, sentence served, judgment done, you go free. That's one situation. Now how about this one? Another one comes up. And this time, the accuser is the Holy Spirit. Scripture. The heart of God. And Jesus is your defense attorney. And the Holy Spirit starts flashing your life before you. All the things where you walked away from God. Resisted His grace. Heard a message of His goodness and His love. And rejected it. And hearing all those things say this. When God says, what do you say to that? Say, they're right. That is who I am. I am a sinful person. I'm covered up in sin and that's not all of it. You should hear my thoughts. There's twice what they've shared. I do not deserve anything but judgment. I have sinned. I am by nature a sinful person. I am a sinner. There's not anything righteous in me. I don't deserve anything but death. And God says, let's see what kind of death this calls for. He flips open the Scriptures. You 
says, all right, here's the death you get. You're going to be despised and rejected and everybody's going to know your secrets. You're going to be a person full of sorrow and grief. And when people look at you, they're going to hide their face from you. You're going to be despised and no one's going to want to be around you. You're going to be wounded for your transgressions. Bruised for your sins. By stripes, your chastisement will be done. Your peace will be earned by those stripes. You will be oppressed and afflicted. You'll be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And you'll be led as a sheep before its shearers. You'll be taken from prison, from judgment. And no one will be able to save you. You have earned this. What do you say to that? And all you can say is, God, you're right. The Roman soldiers had no problems crucifying people in those day and times. They'll just go ahead and do me too. Put me up there. But before you do that, is there mercy from me? If you don't believe you need mercy, you're still heart one, heart two, or heart three. And when he says, is there mercy? God says, my justice and my judgment are true. And then Jesus says, wait a minute. I'll take your place. And the scripture was changed and says, he was despised and rejected by men. This is Isaiah 53. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as we hid as it were our faces from him. We didn't want Him. He was despised and we did not esteem Him. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we see Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. It's not for Himself that He's doing this. Do you understand this? It was for us. It was for you. He was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was on Him. By His stripes you are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. Everyone gone their own way and God put that iniquity on Him. And when Jesus says, I'll take it, are you just going to say, well, thanks, I appreciate it. I'm going to go and see you whenever. Are you going to fall on your face and say, thank you. Thank you. What can I do to worship you and thank you for the rest of my days for setting me free from my fate? What are you going to do on that day? This is the heart that says, what can I do for you to show you I'm thankful? That I'm free. That I have your mercy in my life. If we are one, two, or three, Isaiah 53 describes us. If we are the fourth heart, it's described that Christ has transformed and made us new creations. I want to tell you, Northern United Methodist Church is transforming from a heart three to a heart four. 
We are in process. When I got here, we were heart too. We were stony ground. But we went from heart two to heart three, started doing some stuff. And now there's fruit. There's people here who've never been here before in a church, and they're here because God has brought them here. Brought them back to His heart. That's fruit. We have a part in that to continue to do that. And that's what God has asked you and me to do. Check the box. And then say, God, if I'm not box four, change me. Break up the stubborn heart that I have. And make me fertile ground. Would you pray with me? God, I I come before you repentant. Because there have been times when serving you, I've done it for selfish motive. And you have exposed that by your grace. Not to condemn, but to change. You're not showing us our brokenness and our faults and our sinful nature to tell us we're bad people, but to tell us there's hope. And we don't have to stay that way. We can be free and live a different way that makes a difference and changes the world around us to a loving, joyful place. God, you've included us in that. Thank you. Amen. So you say, well, how do I change? 